The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money, all right? That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. With me are Sean Corner and Chris Rabon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics. Chris is a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network, and they are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the business. And joining us is a guy known for his rise and grind ethos, his high tee facade, his fantastically Mensa-level kicker takes, his propensity to own the libs, and the ease with which he lives the American stream. I'm talking about Denny Carter a fantasy football writer at Roto World. Denny, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. My reputation precedes me. Uh, that's, uh, that's the best intro I've ever had in my life. That's what I was shooting for. So uh, glad that I met my own expectations and exceeded <laughs> everyone else's expectations. All right. It is uh, great to have you back on the pod. We've recently had Evan Silva and Ian Hardis on the show to talk about fantasy quarterbacks. In this episode, we were talking with Denny about his approach to the tight end position, and we we're breaking down the position in detail. Uh, if you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating, leave a review. We would appreciate it. Gentlemen, let's get into it. Denny, I am yes. assuming that you are living the stream when it comes to the tight end position, but uh, give me your general approach to the position this year. Yeah, I mean, I have given in a little bit to tight end premium strategy, you know, like Scott Fishbowl recently. Um, took George Kittle in the, what is it, the end of the first round, I believe. Um, and uh, I have sort of given into that, uh, gotten a little soft on, on that front. But in standard fantasy leagues where uh, the tight end position is not artificially inflated, which I don't, I don't really love, I, I end up with some of the guys in, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth round. But if I don't get a, a certain few players in that area, then I just fade the position completely and wait until, you know, the very end of, of draft. So, you know, when I, when I talk about the middle rounds, the, the guys that I usually uh, end up with, uh, Gronk in the seventh, uh, Hayden Hurst in the seventh or the eighth, those are the two guys that I get in the middle rounds mostly. Um, and then you get, you know, much later, and we're talking about a, a new crop of players. Not sure if you want to get into that right, right this second, but that's, that's my, my approach right now is if I can't get those guys in the middle rounds, I don't sweat it, and I just wait pretty much till the end all right well uh thinking about some of those guys later uh who is the one tight end you've gotten the most of so far in your drafts uh, i have a frightening amount of uh, blake jarwin I, I know i'm you know not the only one i mean it feels like everybody in the industry is, is super bullish on on jarwin but i think that there is a lot of reason to, to be bullish on him this season and, and going forward. I know we're talking about a, a new offense with Mike McCarthy and everything, but you look at how Dak Prescott has targeted the uh, tight end position and, and, and you have to look at the, the, the statue of Jason Witten uh, over the past uh, three of the past four seasons with Prescott under center in Dallas. You know, uh, uh, I did a piece for 4for4.com uh, on um, Dak's history with tight ends and, and you have Witten 
you know, getting a, a, almost a 20% share, a target share in 2016. Uh, that was 18% in 2017 and 14.5% in 2019. Um, and I, I, th I think that that is, you know, a little bit of a tip off that um, Jarwin could have some built in volume that really isn't factored into his ADP right now. I mean, his ADP on fantasy football calculator, for instance, is still in the 13th round, late 13th. Uh, you know, in leagues that I've drafted in so far, best ball and whatnot, you're, you're not getting him in the 13th. You, you'd have to go at, go in on him at, at 10th, 11th round, but I'm still fine, you know, with, with that, if that's, if that's the case. So yeah, Jarwin for me. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. He has 8.7 yards per target for his career. Uh, it's a, a really high number and now he's elevated to the number one position there. Uh, so you can definitely see it. How about, uh, who's the one tight end yeah. you are most looking to stay away from? <laughs> I, I'm not interested, and this is very uh, against my longtime brand in the fantasy industry. I'm, I'm very much reticent of drafting Jared Cook. You know, last year's touchdown rate, uh, Emmanuel Sanders being thrown into the mix in, in New Orleans. Uh, he wasn't really running a ton of routes last year and, you know, made the most of it because, you know, he ended up with, he ended up being a, a solid fantasy asset. I'm not arguing that, but uh, for his price point right now, uh, which is in the late ninth or early 10th round around where, you know, Hunter Henry, uh, Henry or Cook basically is what it comes down to in, in a lot of my drafts, you know, you end up looking at those two. And I, I like Henry because I think that he'll be a priority in his offense and the Chargers offense, whereas I think Cook is just really like a third or fourth option right now. Well, you mentioned there, um, one of the reasons to to fade Cook would be some regression in his touchdown rate. What are the stats and factors that you are looking at to predict tight end performance this year? Yeah, touchdown rate is is definitely one. Also, uh, you know, if if a guy produced the previous season while running, you know, not many pass routes, I think that that can be and and really should be a red flag. That's something that on you know, Living the Stream, JJ and I talk a lot about tight end route running because I know I know it sounds you know very basic, but you got to run routes if you're going to produce fantasy points. And if a tight end has a solid snap percentage, but is not running all that many routes, then uh, you know his opportunity is you know just a a fraction of what it could be. So that that's definitely one that jumps out. And, um, you know, that that's why, like I said, I, I like Jarwin. That's why I like Chris Herndon for the Jets, uh, because in his rookie season, uh, when he became a part of that offense, you know, became a, not the central part, but but a part of, of the passing game there, he began to run a good amount of routes. And a good amount of routes for a tight end is, you know, 23, 25, 27, somewhere in there. You know, it always depends on what kind of team you're talking about, too. You know, on a re really run-heavy team, uh, 25 routes a game for a, uh, a tight end is, is, is solid. Um, for a pass-happy team, not as much. All right, let's get into uh, some of these players in detail. Let's start with the guys at the top. In most leagues, you have Travis Kelsey going off the board as the number one tight end. Uh, but George Kittle normally follows pretty quickly thereafter. You know, the case for either one of those guys is pretty strong. You know, Kelsey's been a, the fantasy tight end one in three of the past four years. Uh, and then, of course, you have Kittle, who I think might be the best all-around tight end in the league at this point. And he has back-to-back -back yards, back-to-back uh, -back seasons of 1,000 yards receiving. So a lot to like about either one of those guys. Where are you, Denny, on those two guys? Do you mind taking them? 
early and which one do you think should be the first tight end off the board? I think just because of the nature of the Kansas City offense, I think it, it needs to be Kelsey. Um, and I know Kittle right now, according to ADP, is, is going off the board only, only five picks after Kelsey. So it's not, it's not a huge gap by any means. And you, you actually do have a huge gap between Kelsey Kittle and then Mark Andrews, who's going in the fourth round. I would prefer Kelsey there um, because you have Mahomes, because you have a, a, a pass-heavy Chiefs offense, um, unless something drastic changes. And really, you know, the, the, the 49ers, for as, as good as Kittle has been, the 49ers want to be, and made that clear last year, they want to be a run-first, run-always, very conservative kind of offense. And that, you know, if it, that works. That worked for them last year. probably will work for them this year. You know, whether they can keep that up, whether they can – maintain the kind of game script that uh, is conducive to keeping the ball on the ground. You know, I guess that's for the, the average fantasy drafter to decide. But because of that, I do think Kelsey um, is rightfully being drafted, uh, you know, ahead of Kittle. Sean, where are you on Kelsey versus Kittle? Yeah, I would agree with Denny where, um, you know, I'm taking Kelsey before Kittle simply because I'm trying to invest in this Chiefs offense. I mean, we've talked about how scary – the ceiling for this entire offense is so betting on Kelsey uh, is the way to go but you know Kittle goes several picks after so I think in terms of value getting Kittle as the number two tight end is probably a little bit more valuable we talked about on the NFC player projections pod how you know Kittle's touchdown percentage has been pretty low the past two seasons at 5.6 percent so he's only scored five touchdowns each of the last two seasons I don't think in this offense we we should be expecting double digit touchdowns but I think somewhere between six and eight touchdowns this year is more than reasonable so we've really yet to see his ceiling so that's where I would make the case if you take Kittle as the second tight end off the board you're probably getting more value um, in my opinion just because his ceiling has been unrealized so far. Okay, well, I'm living that George Kittle life and uh, like the renegade that I am. I have him ranked number one. Uh, Raybon, where are you on Kelsey versus Kittle? I agree with, uh, with Sean and Denny that because of the nature of the Chiefs offense and, and the quarterback throwing to him and the volume of that offense that Kelsey should be ranked number one. But I love the upside of Kittle too. I think Kelsey, Kittle, and Mark Andrews uh, are guys that I'm willing to – spend an early round pick on um, all of them have tremendous upside and speaking particularly to Kittle uh, there is a huge ceiling like George Kittle's ceiling is fully being worth uh, a you know mid first round pick because his receptions per game last year even amid the run heavy offense rose from 5.5 to 6.1 per game However, his yards per catch dropped from 15.6 in 2018 uh, to just 12.4 last year. So we know he has that big play ability. Uh, he broke a number of big plays in, in 2018. So uh, that could come back or at least settle a little more in the middle of, you know, 15 and a half and 12 and a half. He led all tight ends in 2019 in yards per route run, which is an extremely uh, sticky metric from one year to the next. Um, but he was only 19th in routes per game at 24.1, which goes back to what Denny was talking about. So there's just this major room for growth in a guy who's already a top two, top three tight end. And to me, uh, I do agree with Sean that I think the better value in terms of where they're going relative to ADP is George Kittle. Um, but in terms of raw points, I still uh, favor Kelsey slightly. 
Um, although he is going into his age 31 season, that's a little bit of a red flag. Going back over the last 30 years or so, uh, tight ends have seen a 10 to 15% drop in their per game production uh, relative to their career norms uh, in their age 31 season. So it starts the, the decline phase right around now, um, but Patrick Mahomes is going to mitigate that. So um, I'm fine with either of them. Just shooting from the hip, Sean. Let's say that uh, Denny, with his new job at Roto World, broke some news, wrote, wrote a blurb saying that uh, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle have both signed with the WWE. They are going to face each other in the ring. What would you set as the odds? And then Denny, uh, after Sean sets the odds, I want you to say which side you would take. Man, that's a tough one. Uh, Kelsey's pretty psycho, but I, I would set Kittle – I mean, he's in his prime. I would set him as a favorite at minus 150 to plus 130. And it is an important point to make in terms of fantasy. He played through that broken uh, bone in his ankle, and I think it was week six before missing a couple of games. So having that kind of mentality is, especially when you're investing, you know, high draft capital in tight end, having a guy that can gut out an injury like that is huge in my opinion. So I think that's why I kind of give him the edge in some sort of wrestling match. I have always thought that George Kittle was an absolute lunatic. So I'm hammering Kittle. I love him in that matchup because he is so out of his mind when he's in competition. Yeah, Kittle is the only person I would probably have favored over Kelsey. But uh, I still would hammer Kittle. You got to go Kittle, man. He's just... He's that dude. He's just a psycho. Like Kelsey, he's an athletic specimen. He's a wild dude. He'll probably take some cheap shots, but... He's also a little bit of a pretty boy. Kittle ain't about that. Like, Kittle, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, Kelsey, he's a little too pretty sometimes. Kittle, like, he'll block, he'll catch, and he'll beat your ass. It was a soft line uh, after early action. It's at least minus 300 now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about the guys going outside or right after the, the top two. So you have this tier of Kelsey and Kittle. And then I think right after them, you have Mark Andrews and Zach Ertz. And they're going you know, around a round and a half, two rounds later. But I think they provide an interesting arbitrage opportunity in that both Mark Andrews and Zach Ertz, you can clearly see a path to how either one of these guys would finish in the top two. You know, Mark Andrews is an ascending tight end. He has a top three mark of 9.5 yards per target over the past two years, fully expecting that he's going to be used even more within that Baltimore offense this year. And then Zach Ertz has been a top four fantasy tight end in each of the past three years. But of course, there's the question with him. He could see fewer targets than he saw the past two seasons. Denny, where are you on Andrews and Ertz? Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to choose between, between them because they're going pretty close in ADP. Uh, Andrew's in the fourth and then uh, Ertz in the uh, top of the fifth. I mean, if, you're, if you want volume, if, if you value volume over everything, then I think that you need to go Ertz uh, unless you project the Baltimore offense to regress to a more normalized uh, rate of running the football this year. You know, they ran the ball in 54% of their offensive snaps uh, last season, the, the highest in the league by far. So Andrews, I feel like you're going to have to bank on that efficiency being maintained. And we all know how that goes sometimes when you, when you say, Hey man, this guy was efficient last year. Let's just roll with him. You know, he's an efficient guy. And you know, that's, that's something that often uh, doesn't hold up, especially when you're talking about a position like tight end uh, where the, the player is, is just not going to be 
you're going to see the kind of volume that a wide receiver would see. You know, Andrews is the far sexier pick than Ertz. You know, uh, Rich Rebar has called Ertz the uh, souped up version of Jason Witten, you know, for years. And it's true. But, you know, Ertz just kind of stumbles into 130 targets. You're not, you're not going to be able to say the same about Andrews. If I'm going in on a tight end at that point in the draft, I guess it would be Andrews. I mean, I'm with you. I'm, uh, you know, a, a very staunch Andrews truther. I am at the point where I don't want to say that uh, I would take him as the number two tight end, but um, I don't know. I, I like him a lot, and I, I can see a path to him finishing in the top two. Sean, where are you? Yeah, I'm team Andrews here all the way. Uh, I don't think we can even um, expect him to come close to his efficiency this year. He's certainly going to regress um, from his 15.5% touchdown rate. That's most certainly going down. But, you know, we're going to see way more uh, snaps played by him. Like you said, Denny, snaps played are the way to go at tight end. So, you know, with Hayden Hurst last year, uh, Andrews was frustratingly a 50% snaps per dropback kind of guy. Uh, I think that that should absolutely shoot up to 70 to 80% this year, unless you think uh, Charles Scarf is going to replace Hayden Hurst uh, completely, which I, I'm not betting on. Andrews can certainly um, offset this um, expected regression efficiency with just more snaps played. So I think the upside's there. I think his floor is way higher than people think. I, you know, definitely worth taking, like Friedman said, it's arbitrage tight end if you miss out. On the first two, you have Andrews, who absolutely has top two potential. And, you know, I'm kind of fading Ertz because he's always seen as this high floor player. But uh, I think, you know, last year he, he managed to see 134 targets, but a lot of that was due to their wide receiver depth charts just being decimated. You know, they brought in help. They're a little bit deeper this year. So um, I, I'm not betting on Ertz matching those numbers this year, especially with Dallas Goddard. You know, he's entering his prime and Ertz is sort of leaving it, so to speak. Uh, entering his age 30 season. So I'm off of Ertz here. If you're going to be spending high draft capital here, go with the upside and take Andrews. Raybon, I think you're probably in the uh, the same camp uh, with Andrews over Ertz, but uh, give us your thought process here. I mean, it shouldn't even be a question. I, I think Mark Andrews could have the one of the most ridiculous tight end seasons we've seen in a long time if he plays as much as I think we think he's going to play because look at what he did last season. He finished as the number two tight end. And as Sean mentioned, he was only running around on 50 to 60% of the team's dropbacks per game. He was targeted on 33% of his routes run. And although I don't necessarily expect that type of efficiency uh, to continue targets per route run is a pretty predictive metric pretty quickly. So the fact that Andrews uh, could maintain that high, that high of a target rate just signifies how good he is and how uh, skilled he is at getting open and how much Lamar Jackson's going to look for him. Uh, and then you also have to consider Andrews finishes the number two tight end running half of the routes on a team that threw the least in the entire National Football League. The room for growth with simple regression to the mean far, far outweighs the opposite regression in terms of his a potential efficiency decline. Like the, the potential for him to just explode in terms of usage and play nearly every down, the potential for Baltimore to pass the ball, you know, three to five more times per game this year because Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, is going to be more comfortable. He flat out said he doesn't want to run as much. He wants to develop as a passer. And, and look at what he did last year going from year one to year two. 
all of a sudden he leads the league in touchdown passes. Lamar could still be getting better as a thrower. This is his guy. This is their number one target. I wouldn't be surprised if we're sitting here at the end of the year and Mark Andrews is like two, three points per game ahead of Kelsey and Kittle. Let's also not forget that Mark Andrews played through an injury tag six different times last year and still put up those numbers. All right, so after these top four tight ends, and, and all of these guys have a pretty realistic chance of leading their team in targets. After those guys, I think there's something of a transitionary tier where you could look at five tight ends and think that all of them or any one of those guys has a realistic chance of finishing in the top four, but they might be kind of a little bit closer in caliber to the guys who follow them than the guys at the the top of the position. And so I'm looking at Darren Waller, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, Rob Gronkowski, and Tyler Higby. You know, all of those guys, you can see how one of them could finish in the top four. Denny, you talked about some of these guys earlier and how you're getting, you know, uh, I think a a decent amount of Gronk. I think you mentioned you're getting a, a decent amount of Hunter Henry. Where are you in general on these five guys? And uh, give us your, your thoughts on them. Gronk, I've seen him drop well past his ADP in, in a lot of drafts. I got him recently in like the end of the eighth round. I felt like that was a pretty good spot for him. You know, his, his ADP, by the way, is at the end of the sixth round. So that, that would be, you know, two rounds uh, different. In an offense with so many threats, you know, with, with Godwin, with Evans, also an offense quarterback by the only guy he's ever known, Brady, I think that we'll see a lot of single coverage, a lot of, uh, you know, focus on those receivers, leaving Gronk in an enviable position uh, to exploit matchups. You know, if you trust Tom Brady to be able to exploit matchups with his favorite pass catcher of all time, I I think it's a really good spot. It's a really good position. I don't foresee, you know, Gronk um, catapulting the guys we just talked about, but he wouldn't have to, I, I, you know, obviously to, to be, to prove a value play, but that's why I just, I just keep kind of just taking them, you know, uh, they're um, another guy who checks a lot of boxes, you know, uh, uh, JJ wrote a piece uh, a couple months ago on what to look at for uh, breakout tight ends. I don't have the list in front of me of, of, the, of the various things, uh, factors you're looking at, but suffice it to say that Hayden Hurst checks all of those boxes. I don't think people are really clawing for him right now. All right, Corner, uh, where are you on these five guys? Which guy stands out to you the most as the one that you think within this range provides pretty good value? I'll I'll be pretty blunt and say none of them. Um, This entire tier I'm avoiding just just based on, you know, we talked about the top three tight ends. I think those are the guys worth spending high draft capital on. After that, I mean, we're going to talk about them later, but the upside tight end tier, like, you know, ranks 13 through 20. I mean, I could take any one of those guys. I think that's where the league winners have been coming from the past couple seasons. So this tier kind of feels like you're just trying to like scramble and take a tight end because you feel like you missed out. So, you know, Darren Waller, I don't expect him to come close to his 117 targets a year ago. They brought in too many weapons. Um, I could see him, you know, uh, seeing some positive regression in his touchdown rate. Uh, which was 3.3% last year. That's certainly going to go up. I mean, he's six foot six, 238 pounds. He should be a force in the red zone. So I think he'll offset some of the regression we'll see in targets with uh, some touchdowns this year. Um, Evan Ingram, I mean, when he's healthy, he's a top six tight end. Um, and I don't like overrating recent injury history, but I mean, he's missed 13 of the past 32 games. 
again, you don't want to be spending high draft capital on a guy that seems to be injury prone. Um, Hunter Henry, I'm, I'm down on him in this offense. There's just not going to be enough yards to, to maintain Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Hunter Henry on a weekly basis. So I'm passing on him. Gronk, uh, you know, I love his upside in this offense, but, um, you know, I'm always a bit worried about Bruce Arians' offenses when it comes to tight ends. Certainly Brady and Gronk should change that, but, uh, I mean, it's a guy that I, I'm not getting much of this year. Uh, and then Higby, I mean, if Higby picks up where he left off last year, he's a top four tight end. But, um, you know, I just think – more two tight, tight end sets with Gerald Everett this year as opposed to Johnny Munt will hurt, um, you know, the bottom line when it comes to Higby. So he's the guy I'm probably fading um, as a seventh tight end. But he's probably the guy, if you want to invest in just upside, maybe go with Higby. But, again, I think you might as well just wait until the later rounds to take some of these high upside tight ends that are pretty much free this year. All right, well, Sean, you just mentioned there, Higby may be the guy that you look at if you're looking for upside. And Raybon, you look at what Higby did at the end of the season. Uh, he had, you know, 11.25 targets, 104.5 yards in four games. Sorry, an average of 11.25 and over 100 yards in four games without Gerald Everett. Uh, but with Everett, had only 4.4 targets, 31.6 yards per game. So horrific splits. What are your thoughts on Higby and some of these other guys within that tier? All right, first of all, let's stop this Gerald Everett hype. He doesn't even deserve to be mentioned. It's over for Gerald Everett. What has he been in the league now? Four or five years. It looked like it was over for Higby, but then Higby made that jump. And Everett came back. This is what a lot of people forget when you point out these Everett-Higby splits and, um, you know, when they played together and and how the numbers dropped off. Once Higby got on his run and – that was a five-game run over the last five weeks of the season, aided by the Cardinals' horrible tight end defense, I will admit. 11.2 targets, 8.6 catches, 104 yards per game with .4 touchdowns over the last five. Everett came back in week 16. He played four offensive snaps. He was active again the next week. Played none. Two special team snaps. So he wasn't hurt because he played on special teams. You don't play a guy that's hurt on special teams. That's the easiest way to get hurt. Everett is done. It's over. They figured out the solution to Jared Goff and the offensive line's inability to give him time to go deep and his uncomfortableness with being behind that offensive line. And it's to, uh, you know, use Higby in the intermediate area. Johnny Munt is a better blocker than Everett, so he played more. It's, I, to me, Everett's a non-factor. I have him ranked 56. Um, it's just over for him, I, I think. But 141 to 4. That is how much Tyra Higby outsnapped Gerald Everett on offense in the last two games, 141 to four. Um, but I, I, for the most part, I do agree with Sean that this tier is kind of ugly. And, and I, that's why I do think Zach Ertz has a little more value than we're giving him credit for. Yes, he's kind of entering that decline phase, but I think it'll be a slow burn. I don't think the Eagles wide receiving core is in great shape this year um, either. I mean, you're talking about Deshaun Jackson, an old version of him. You're talking about a rookie and you're talking about Alshon Jeffrey, who's probably going to start the year on puck. So it could be another 25% of targets for Ertz. He has declined a little bit um, in terms of his, uh, you know, per route efficiency, three-year lows in pretty much every category last year, but it was just a slight downtick. Um, so uh, I think Ertz is fine. Hunter Henry's the guy I'm really avoiding. I think that uh, as Sean mentioned, there's not going to be enough yards to go around and Hunter Henry does nothing after the catch. 40th of 44 tight ends in yards after the catch, just 3.0. He had a 10.2 average depth of target, 
and he just he averaged just 11.9 per catch. He's not getting anywhere. Uh, and Shane Steichen, when he took over, he went from a 65, a 66% pass rate to a 59% pass rate. And uh, 11% dip would have dropped Henry into the tight end 12-13 range. Uh, I think that's where he should go this year. Tyrod Taylor, only 28 uh, and a half pass attempts per game in his career as a starter. Okay. So there are three guys at the bottom of the tight end one tier. And we talked about a couple of these guys. You have Jared Cook, Austin Hooper, Hayden Hurst. Denny, you mentioned Jared Cook earlier as a guy that you are really looking to stay away from. You talked about Hayden Hurst as someone uh, who provides value at this point in the draft and uh, that you're looking to get. And then obviously Hooper is the guy uh, whose job Hayden Hurst now has. Uh, Talk a little bit about Hayden Hurst and what it is that you see in him that you really like. Yeah, I mean, just volume and volume of opportunity on a uh, traditionally pass-heavy Atlanta offense. Um, you know, uh, last year the Falcons threw the, I believe, the most passes of any team in the league, and that was the result of them facing a ton of negative game script in the first half of the season, and it, and it sort of uh, evened out in the second half. But you know, with with that sort of offense, you know, like I talked about with Tampa, with with those two wide receivers drawing so much defensive attention, and rightfully so. Hurst has that same thing going for him in Atlanta uh, with Ridley and, and Julio drawing, you know, the uh, attention of defenses. The middle of the field has been open for Matt Ryan or was open last year with Austin Hooper. And um, we saw, you know, we saw Hooper, I think at one point in the middle of the season, he was the top scoring tight end in, in fantasy. We, we knew that wouldn't hold up, but um, what a value, you know, what a, uh, what a value for someone who was taken very late in drafts uh, in 2019. So you know, her steps into that role. Um, I don't really focus so much on, you know, the uh, ability or, um, uh, or the uh, pedigree of, of tight ends, but if someone has a lockdown position on a good offense, a good pass heavy offense with, with other threats to distract the defense. And I, I, I like that guy and that, and that guy is Hurst. All right. Well, uh, I'm, I unreasonably am interested in Hurst because of the first round uh, draft pedigree. And then because the Falcons yeah. uh, invested uh, a second round pick in him uh, via trade. Uh, and, and really a lot of it, and, and Denise, you mentioned, he's in the offense that made Austin Hooper the number three mm-hmm. tight end in fantasy last year. And I'm looking at Hooper now traded from a pass heavy offense to a running back centric offense. I look at Jared Cook and he just looks like a prime regression candidate. I'm really looking to avoid Cook and Hooper, very much more interested in Hayden Hurst. Sean, is Hurst someone that you're interested in, or are you still kind of looking to stay away from him and go for guys after? Well, uh, I mean, I am definitely interested in Hurst. Unfortunately, the market is is on to him, and he, he's going a bit too early uh, to have too much of. But, you know, last year, uh, Austin Hooper ended up being my most highly owned tight end. Um, and it had almost nothing to do with Hooper as a player. It was all about the scheme. Um, if you look at Dirk Cutter throughout his career, you know, wherever he goes, the tight ends thrive. Um, so, you know, uh, Hayden Hurst is going to go right into the Austin Hooper role. And like you said, he's probably more talented. So that's why I, I'm considering Hayden Hurst essentially Austin Hooper last year. And I'm completely fading Austin Hooper this year. I want nothing to do with him, especially on the Browns offense. They should be a little more run heavy, run two tight end sets, 
please don't draft Austin Hooper. If, if you took him last year, it was great, but we got to move on. And, you know, Jared Cook, I think he's, he's an option in best ball. I don't want anything to do with him redraft. But best ball, you know, you don't have to figure out when he's going to have his spike weeks, when he's going to have his duds. So I think for best ball, I can definitely get behind taking a guy like Jared Cook. But uh, again, this tier, it, it just seems like you're, you're spending a little bit too much draft capital at tight end when you can just wait and get one of these upside tight ends that have every bit of much upside as, you know, a Hayden Hurst does. So that's why I'm, I'm still kind of passing even on this tier. Raybon, where are you on these three guys? I love Hurst. Uh, I think the way you have to approach tight end, and, and Sean, I think we actually diverge a little bit. I'm not really that excited about those guys in the, like the 13 to 20 tier. And it's because the way I'm looking at the position is it's always going to be streamable. So mm-hmm. I can get those guys uh, without even drafting them. Um, and, and they're going to have good matchups. But when I'm drafting, I'm really looking for one of the few tight ends that can – approximate what the top four are doing. And that means about, you know, at least five catches per game. Austin Hooper is because of that offense, because their defense is so bad that he can just, whoever the tight end is can just pull up a chair and and sit down right in that prevent defense in the fourth quarter and and add like a couple extra catches every, almost every game. And I have the Atlanta under, I talked about it on the, uh, on on the latest action network betting pod. Uh, I love the Atlanta under their schedule's, tough um, in my opinion I think their defense was not improved enough so I think the situation is going to be similar Hurst in Baltimore only blocked two percent of the time on pass plays they didn't get him to block Uh, they traded uh, you know a pretty substantial pick for him Uh, I think he's going to slide right into that Hooper role and I really don't see guys later on that I think could catch five balls a game Uh, I don't think Gronk can do it he his targets per route run was a career low 18% uh, in his last, in 2018. Before that, it was 24%. So he did suffer a, a pretty uh, major decline. And Brady is not going to throw it into traffic. Uh, Brady, you know, it's clear that Brady is going to play it safe. He led the league in throwing away passes last year. So uh, Gronk, I don't think, is going is to be able to do it. Jared Cook, I don't think is going to be able to do it. You're going to be relying on touchdowns. But Hurst could do it. Uh, Waller could do it. Ingram uh, is in the top three in terms of six catch games since since he came into the league, even with the missed games, he can do it. Uh, and then Higby maybe can do it, but I think Higby goes too early um, relative to some of the receivers that are still on the board. Hooper, I want nothing to do with. I just think that offense is going to be too low volume. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how I'm looking at, at the position. I think Hurst is the guy that stands out. It's like, could be this year's Waller, this year's uh, Hoop. Hooper. All right, Raymond, you just mentioned there that uh, some of these upside tight ends going a little bit later, like guys 13 through 20, you're not quite as interested in them. Um, This is the tier I'm kind of looking to target. Like I actually like a number of these guys and Denny, I'd I'd like your thoughts on them, especially some of these younger guys. Uh, We can talk about some of these older veteran dad runners a little bit later, Mm -hmm. but it's the younger guys within this tier who catch my eye much more. So, Noah Fant, number 11 tight end last year with eight and a half yards per target. As a rookie, I think that's pretty good. You have Mike Kosicki, who is a 97th percentile spark athlete. TJ Hawkinson, who maybe is the best tight end prospect entering the league since Gronk. Exploded in week one with over 100 yards and a touchdown. Really did nothing after that, but Matt Stafford is returning. There's some reason for enthusiasm with him. 
uh, Dallas Goddard, who had 12.1 uh, PPR points per game last year from week six on. Johnny Smith you know, was number two last year with 10 yards per target, uh, who even chips in as a runner, which is you know pretty rare for a, a tight end, but he does it at a pretty high level. And then the guy you mentioned earlier, Blake Jarwin. I look at all of those guys and I think, I mean, I'll, I'll take any of them. I'll take all of them. Uh, Denny, where are you? I'm, I'm with you. I did a series uh, for 444.com on late round tight ends who could see, uh, you know, volume, you know, that, that is really not baked into their um, valuation right now. One of those guys who just popped out was, was TJ Hawkinson. Like, like you said, uh, beyond the pedigree, you know, you look at how he was used last year. He ran 24 routes per game in the games that he did play all the way through. Uh, he, you know, obviously he was dinged up here and there, did miss some games. I looked at what kind of opportunity he could have this year. And if you look at Detroit tight ends in total, uh, in 2019, they saw 115 targets. Hawkinson saw 52% of those, those targets. And uh, if the Lions offense passes at around the same rate, obviously they're not going to want to, you know, with Matt Patricia being Matt Patricia. Uh, but, you know, if, if they do, then you could have Hawkinson seeing, you know, 14, 15% target share um, and be a red zone threat. You know, uh, no one saw more uh, red zone targets, I believe, last year than Kenny Galladay. Uh, and so if they spread that around a little more this year, then you would think that Hunkinson, Hawkinson, I cannot say his name. I keep saying Honk, Honkinson. I thought you said Hunkinson, which I yeah, think there is go. pretty good. I think it's pretty <laughs> accurate. <laughs> yes, no, we need to make that happen. I've been calling him the Hawk. I don't know if that's going to catch on, but. Hunkinson is a natural kind of red zone threat uh, near the goal line. Uh, like you said, you know, Stafford being back means everything to him, you know, to every, to every pass catcher in, uh, in Detroit. And he's going undrafted in, in a lot of leagues. I mean, not the leagues that, you know, not best ball leagues or whatever we're playing in right now, but in casual leagues, 10 and 12 team leagues this year, nobody's going to draft him. And he could, I think that there's a clear path to him becoming a reliable fantasy starter uh, this year. Corner, where are you on uh, these six guys uh, that I mentioned? Fant, Gesicki, Hawkinson, Goddard, Smith, and Blake Jarwin. Uh, you know, these guys, the young upside guys within the 30 to 20 tier. Sorry, 13 to 20 tier. Yeah, I would, I would focus on the top four. So Fant, Gesicki, Hawkinson, and Goddard. Um, the beauty of waiting at tight end is, I mean, I could – end up with any one of those and be fine. Again, Raybon made a good point. Um, you know, earlier, I, I would say Hurst, if he does fall to me, I absolutely want to target him. But all of these guys, uh, you know, if you draft them, the streaming at tight end is going to be easier than ever now. I just think it, mm -hmm. as the NFL becomes more pass heavy, we're seeing tight ends, you know, they're running more routes. It's, it's becoming a more fancy viable position. So there isn't as big of a drop off at top anymore. So, you know, if you take a Mike Jacecki, I'm not saying play him all 16 weeks, force him in there when they play the Patriots. I'm saying you can stream the position. So I'm just starting off by taking one of these high upside guys. If they pan out, um, like going back to 2018, taking George Kittle in this range was a league winning play. Last year, taking Austin Hooper, uh, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller was probably not drafted in most leagues, league winning plays. I just think being able to kind of get tight end this late, if they hit and they're a top five, top 10 option, it's such an advantage. And you're able to load up, I think, this year more than ever, having depth at running back and wide receiver. 
um, is very important. So it just allows you to load up at those key positions where it, we do have the option to stream tight end now. And I would even say, maybe not this year, but next year especially, we're, we're going to be able to play tight ends in our flex slot as well. I think the position's going to be deep enough to do things like that. So I just think waiting to get one of these high upside tight ends entering year three or four is, is the way to go this year. Raymond, you mentioned that uh, you're viewing these guys as sort of more streaming assets as opposed to guys that you're drafting. Which one of these stands out the most as the guy that you think offers value right now, given his ADP? I would say John Smith. And the reason I say that is, again, uh, I, I don't want a tight end. I don't want a tight end that's going to perform at the level of a wide receiver three. Like, I think that's a lot of times what we're getting excited about in this range. And I think Waller, Andrews, Kittle were guys that I know we were on, like we were on these guys. They were clear guys that we were targeting. Whereas this year it's more of a collective effort. It's like, ah, oh, any one of them may hit, but that doesn't do me any good as a drafter. I think that's, those are all great best ball picks, but I think in a mm-hmm. normal draft, um, I don't really want any. So even John Smith, I'm not terribly excited about, but the reason I say Smith is because as it stands, I view Smith as the number two target on the Titans offense. Corey Davis has shown that he's not able to get open at at a very good rate. Um, AJ Brown's the clear top target, but you know, even his target rate per route um, because he, the defenses are focusing on him on so much uh, is around 20%, which is not that high. Now it could definitely, you know, grow in year two, but um, there is kind of this opening where the Titans could throw more. They could regress to the mean, um, and John was an extremely explosive player, and that's what I'm going to bet on. So I think Noah Fant uh, also is in this tier where um, he could end up being perhaps maybe there's a, sh- a small chance at least of him being the number two target in Denver. Uh, I think Judy and, and Gordon complicate that, but there's a chance he could have like a Kittle-like breakout. But I think you just want explosiveness at that point. John Smith uh, is a guy who um, has made you know numerous big plays, averaged uh, – about nearly 13 yards per catch over the last two years and uh, fan average 14. So those are the guys, but I just, I think all of these guys realistically are going to be, if we're lucky, um, they get to four catches per game. And that's just not what I want. That's still like a back end TE one at best. So um, I, I don't think that these guys should be who we're targeting. Cause we don't have like a clear guy. I think Hurst, if he falls and we're including him in that category, then he's the clear guy. Um, but as Sean mentioned, he's going a little too early. So, um, I, I actually think the top four and then Waller, Ingram, uh, and, and then Hurst are, are the real targets and, and Higby goes too early. So that, that's really all I'm targeting at tight end. Anyone else, I'll just take, I'll just pick up whoever didn't get drafted um, out of the guys we just mentioned. All right. Well, speaking guys who didn't get drafted, there's this tier of old veteran dad runners and, you know, we should probably mention them, but I'm just going to be honest. Uh, I don't really... I'm not excited about any of them. Eric Ebron is the guy uh, in in this tier that I would say is most palatable. Um, I can I can see the path forward for him. But um, Jack Doyle, I mean, maybe the most boring pro bowler ever uh, in 2019. Uh, Greg Olson, um, I mean, we know he's retiring after this year. Uh, it feels like this is just sort of like pre-retirement for him. Um, Kyle Rudolph in a run first offense, but I mean, he does have six touchdowns per year uh, over the past half decade. So he's someone you can't totally ignore. And then, I mean, Jimmy Graham, uh, the guy is still alive. 
Uh, I feel like that deserves its own news blurb. Uh, and then 7.3 yards per target over the past two seasons. Um, that's not something I'm interested in. So these guys in general, I'm just looking to stay away from. But, uh, Denny, if you had to choose one, if you absolutely had to, uh, why is it Eric Ebron? <laughs> <laughs> it is. I actually had had him in my uh, series on 4 for 4 uh, where, you know, you look at Ben Roethlisberger's history uh, with tight end. Um, it would, you know, it would take, it would take some injuries on the Steelers offense. I think for Ebron to emerge as an every week fantasy option, um, particularly, you know, Vance McDonald will stymie that uh, in the, in the early going and not that Vance McDonald is, you know, some huge threat, but he's there. I do think it is, is a good idea on Monday. I'll get right on. Uh, writing a, a blurb on Jimmy Graham saying that he is in fact in the NFL. I think that I think that'll really catch people's attention. But no, 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 no I'm not. I'm not interested in the other guys. Although I will say on living the stream, obviously at some point this season we're going to make the case an impassioned case that you have to play Greg Olson. You just have to. I'm 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 preparing emotionally. I'm preparing for that. Okay. Well, it's I'm imagining uh, it will probably help if he's going against the Arizona Cardinals. There, that's, that's what uh, I'm thinking. Yeah, that's that's the the bullish argument for him. He he plays against them two times this year. Uh, Sean, anything to say about these old decrepit guys that we want no part of? Well, uh, I mean, first off, Eric Ebron. Yes, he's he's a veteran, but I he's like six months older than Hayden Hurst. So I mean, he's kind of a tweener here. He's still in his prime. And it's a bit ironic that last year I kept saying Vance McDonald is going to be this year's Eric Ebron for the Steelers offense. Obviously, when Big Ben got hurt, that threw that out the window. So I think it's ironic that Eric Ebron is in this role. I think he could end up being, uh, you know, one of Big Ben's favorite red zone targets. So, yeah, if there's any guy you're going to pick from this group, it'd be Eric Ebron just based on he's not an old veteran and he's in a good offense. But, yeah, I want nothing to do with – Greg Olson, um, Jason Witten was actually the first tight end over the age of 35 to crack 220 receiving yards. He put up a whopping 530 last year. So that's, that's what you're dealing with, Greg Olson. I'm not, I'm not betting against father time. If anything, I'm drafting Will Disley as my third tight end in best ball, and hopefully Greg Olson gets phased out after a few games um, and Will Disley takes over. But I, I want nothing to do with any of these guys other than Eric Ebron. All right, Raybon, uh, on the serious show, you and I have talked uh, a few times about Eric Ebron and how he's, I mean, you know, like he's someone you can, you can take, like, especially in best ball, like he's palatable. Uh, and I, I feel like you were actually uh, much more interested in him than I would have expected. Uh, give us the breakdown on Ebron. Well, first of all, it, I think it, it, it's largely related to my bearishness on kind of the tight ends outside the top eight, because I could, and it's going to sound super hot takey, but I could easily rank Eric Ebron like ninth. Like, in, like, like it's not, there's just no difference to me between any of those people. Like, because there, there's just not that five catch upside. There's not that upside to land in, in that top five. And, and, this, and if you're talking about a league where you're 10 or 12 teams, you don't want like the TE9, really, like if you're being honest. So the reason I like Ebron is because, you're looking for a way to get an outlier, to, to, to fall into an outlier, a guy who outperforms his volume. Fant and Janu could do it um, based on explosiveness. Maybe Janu does it if A.J. Brown gets hurt and he's the de facto number one target. But Eric Ebron, we literally have evidence of him doing exactly this 
only two years ago. In, in 2018, he played uh, right around 50% of the snaps, and he caught 13 touchdown passes from Andrew Luck. He averaged 4.1 catches per game uh, and 47 yards, which is, uh, you know, for a tight end that's not, you know, among the, that, top, that top tier, uh, pretty good and about the best you're going to hope for. So 2019 comes and we get Jacoby Brissett instead of Andrew Luck. And Eric Ebron's numbers decline and touchdowns are high variance. But Ben Roethlisberger, top of the league in, in yards, attempts, touchdown passes almost every year when he's healthy. So Eric Ebron's situation is now 2018 Eric Ebron. And he's only 27. He checks all the boxes in terms of when you look at his per route efficiency, he's targeted about 20. Even last year, he was targeted on about 24% of his routes. So he's a guy that could easily be like the tight end seven or six. And that's about the best you're going to hope for in this tier. And I could get Ebron after like Fant and Jarwin and Janu and Hawkinson and all those guys. So he is my preferred uh, late round guy. Like I'm actually skipping that, like the, the, the 10 through uh, like 19, 20 tier. And just, it's all Ebron for me. Like he's on every best ball team. The one negative thing I will say about Ebron is that even though, and it's because he entered the league as a, a 21 year old. So, uh, you know, he's, he's been, he's been in the league a long time. So it feels like he's older, but even though he's only uh, entering his age 27 season, uh, the over under for like his real body at this point, it's gotta be like 32 and a half. The guy feels as if he is aged, uh, not, not aged, aged. That's how old he seems. Uh, okay. Let's talk about some of these deeper dark throws. Some people have talked about Chris Herndon with a little bit of enthusiasm Irv Smith Jr. is someone who's been brought up. Uh, Jay Sternberger, who did nothing as a rookie, but you, I mean, you could kind of see a path to how he actually might end up being the number two receiver on the Packers in no, you 2020. Can't. You are so <laughs> wrong about everything Packers related, Freeman. Oh my God, Matthew Freeman, why do you do this to me? Why? Like, I was, I was on mute. I was on mute. I was, gonna, I was just going to chill for the rest of the podcast. I didn't even get through the rest of the list. Jay Sternberger, he shouldn't even be in this podcast outline. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I would bet any amount of money at any ridiculous odds that Jay Sternberger will not be the number two tight end. When Aaron Rodgers can't even like connect with good tight ends. Like that, that was a bad take. You can you can see the path to it happening. Moving on, Ian Thomas. Uh, he feels like an upside player, but he had just nine uh, five point nine yards per target the past two years. You have Will Disley. Uh, who has an elite 10.2 yards per target for his career, but he's played in just 10 games. Dawson Knox is someone that, you know, some people have talked about, but, you know, meh, Denny. Any, any thoughts on any of these guys who are deeper dart throws? You named a, a lot of tight ends who on the right team would be very interesting. I, I'm intrigued by Chris Herndon because 37% of the Jets' targets uh, have been vacated since the end of 2019. That accounts for 183 targets. Uh, no team has more vacated air yards than the Jets. I'm not saying that Herndon steps in and just eats up all the all that uh, available opportunity, air yards, targets, whatever. But uh, there's there's a lot of reason uh, to believe uh, that he will be a consistent part in that offense. If I if we're talking here to people who are entering pretty casual leagues, Herndon's not going to be drafted. And I could really see him having, you know, an early season blow up game. Somebody, you know, you pick him up and he becomes pretty reliable. Ian Thomas, I wrote a piece for Roto World about how pass heavy the Carolina offense could be. 
this season. And, and if you buy that argument, if you think that they will be bad and will be throwing a lot with Teddy Bridgewater, then you kind of have to like Ian Thomas a little bit. I am definitely gravitating toward the ones in offenses that are going to throw. Sean, do any of these guys catch your eye? I mean, you got to be in an extremely deep league or, you know, tight end premium to even consider these guys. But uh, Rayvon made a good point earlier when he was talking about Ebron, where in, in this range, you just want to go for maximum upside. Uh, and it's a point I forgot to make when it came to like a guy like Dallas Goddard, who his value is kind of suppressed because of Zach Ertz's presence. But if Zach Ertz were to go down, I mean, he would be borderline top five tight end. Mm-hmm. So having that sort of built in upside is actually valuable. So in this range, you know, guys like Irv Smith, there's reasons why they're this low. It's because they're in more of a tight end timeshare. Those are the dart throws you want to take here. Where, you know, if Tyrell Higby goes down, I could see Gerald Everett being a top ten tight end. Like, really. So Irv Smith, Will Disley, Gerald Everett, those are the only guys to target here. And you kind of need an injury for them to, to hit. Raymond, any thoughts at all other than the ones you've already shared on this tier? Yeah, like if you're in a league where you have to draft this tier of tight ends, you're <laughs> – I don't know. You might be too into fantasy. I think this was the worst. Like, this is an award-winning podcast for the sharpest people in the industry. This might have been the worst 15 minutes of a podcast we've ever done because we just (laughs) wasted our time talking about the most irrelevant dudes. Like, Gerald Everett shouldn't have even been in the outline. Neither should Sternberger. Like, Disley, at least, you could say he is a high upside dude. Irv Smith and Ian Thomas in theory, are appealing, but a red flag for me is that their yards per route run and just generally their their target per route run numbers are very uh, bad. I I always worry a a lot about guys who were kind of banking on volume, but they've shown in the past that they just are not that good at getting open. I think Herndon is the clear guy, like as you mentioned, because he's that guy I could at least see getting to like four catches per game. He's a guy I could see being the number to it, perhaps number two guy in the Jets. He has the chemistry with Darnold. The issue is Ryan Griffin. They signed Ryan Griffin to an extension. Like the, You could put all these guys in a hat and just take any one of them. I would rather take like a guy like Dan Arnold over Jay Sternberger it's because it's like, at least he's on Arizona. He could he'd probably be the number, he could be the number four guy, but they all, they all stink. Like none of these guys you want to draft. That was the worst take. <laughs> Dan Arnold versus Jay Sternberger. That was horrible. I, oh, oh, really? Because Dan Arnold, <laughs> yeah. like, Dan Arnold ran like 35 to 40 percent of the routes, kind of like a wide receiver Darren Waller type. And he's in an offense that spreads out. And they got him late last year, so we don't know what the true plan is. He could easily take some of Matt Williams' snaps, and he could easily out snap Sternberger. I, I just love the guy talking shit about us talking about bad titans. <laughs> Let us down, a Dan Arnold. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm trolling like, now. I'm in full <laughs> Raymond, I totally do agree with you on, on Herndon. Uh, I think he is the guy in this tier. Uh, had nine yards per target as a rookie in 2018. 2019, very much a lost season. It's just, it's hard to know what to expect with uh, Adam Gase there shackling the potential of Chris Herndon. Three, Jace Sternberger absolutely belonged on this podcast. Uh, just based on one, I would say the conversation that uh, he engendered. Uh, but two, no, Sternberger, here's the thing. Okay, just a year ago, he was a third round prospect taken who has a, a pretty clear path, even if he's not the starter. He at least has a path to being the starter uh, on an offense that doesn't have a clear number two wide receiver. And in college, he had 832 yards and 10 touchdowns receiving in his final season. There's a reason why Sternberger belongs in the NFL. We know what Dan Arnold is. Jay Sternberger 
could actually end up being a viable tight end who has multiple seasons of fantasy utility. They drafted Sternberger in the third round. I get it. I get it. And guess what? Sternberger was like a healthy scratch most of the year. And not only that, but they played Mercedes Lewis more than like all of those other dudes that are still on the depth chart. Yeah. And then they re-signed Mercedes Lewis. All right. I'll, I'll connect it back to Hayden Hurst for you. So <laughs> Mercedes, Mercedes Lewis, under Dirk Cutter, 2010 was the tight end four on the Jaguars. Draft Hayden Hurst. There you go. Yes. No, that's, that, I mean, yes, but no, I, that's not Dave how I want to end I want to end it by doing two things. One, I want to kick it back to Denny. And Denny, mm-hmm. I want you to settle this Jace Sternberger versus Dan Arnold debate where I clearly win. Uh, so yeah. go ahead and settle that for us first. I, I'm going to throw it into absolute mayhem. And I, I'm saying Chris is absolutely correct. On what? Arnold over Sternberger, yes. There's way more upside with, with He's Arnold. He's a wide receiver. Thank yeah. you, Dan. Thank and, you. And, and, and the Cardinals, um, I know this as an employee of Roto World, uh, the, the, the Cardinals uh, beat writer for ESPN uh, had a little snippet about how the team is excited to have him in the offense, in a, like, like Chris said, in an open offense. I, I just, I, I'm so bored of Packers pass catchers besides – Devontae Adams. So you know, besides him, I, I'm just not. Uh, I'm just not interested. I, I I like Arnold over over Sternberg. I I don't know if you guys ever had me back. I don't know. Uh, Denny, if I didn't have to ask you the second question, I would have muted you uh, while <laughs> while you were talking. But uh, so what is uh, what's going on at Roto World? What stuff do we need to check out? What uh, hashtag mm-hmm. content are you providing there? Absolutely. Well, the, the team previews are are you know coming up every day. Um, the, the guys there have been doing a great job. Josh, Josh Norris has a great piece on the Carolina offense and what that could provide for fantasy purposes. Uh, Pat Doherty has been writing team previews. Hayden Winks has been doing a great job. Uh, obviously, John Daigle as well. I, I've been you know, doing some player profiles. I had one on Teddy Bridgewater. I'm going to have a couple this week. So it's uh, you know, lots, lots of hashtag content, as you said. And um, I, I think it's a, a great way to get a feel you know, for what offenses can provide for your fantasy team if, you know, if you're a well-adjusted person who has not been uh, studying and researching this stuff for the past three months. All right. uh, You can follow Denny on Twitter at CDCarter13. On our next NFL episode, we'll be breaking down the top 12 fantasy wide receivers. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker. Chris Rabon and Matt F. The Oracle. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show and listen and download on Spotify. See you again next episode. We're finished talking. <laughs>